It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Your hosts here, Josh and Brandon, and today we are talking about spinal manipulation and its role in physical therapy. So, Brandon, I know this is something that you have a lot of experience with, have uh, have a lot of you know continuing education in, and I've seen you use it and have a lot of success with. Uh, but first, I kind of want to touch on for those who aren't as familiar, spinal manipulation. What is it? What is it really doing? Uh, and why uh, is this something that we might utilize in the clinic? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the short answer with that is that we honestly don't know 100% what exactly is occurring with spinal manipulation. But it, what we think is that it's, it's just a big neurophysiological response. So basically, whenever you do a spinal manipulation, spinal adjustment, cracking bones, whatever you want to call it, you're going to hear some sounds. There's going to be some audible pops. You're going to feel some stuff, and, and it feels good. You know, I don't, I don't know why we don't use it more often. Um, you know, what the literature has, has basically shown is that when you get something to pop, you're going to get a little bit of muscle relaxation, and that's probably going to yield less guarding with movement, range of motion increases. Um, you know, there's, there's a few studies that show that it may help decrease some, um, increase someone's pain pressure threshold might help with grip strength, things like that. But for the most part, it's basically you're going to get some muscle relaxation and you're going to move better and it's going to feel good in a nutshell. Um, having said that, we, we, we definitely know what it doesn't do because there's, of course, a history of practitioners, ourselves included, um, claiming that it does something that it doesn't, basically. Um, and I think, I think chiropractors are probably the, the obvious answer for that, if you want to dive into that one a little right. bit too. Yeah, yeah. So there's this idea, you know, of, you know, here – all the time. I, I need to go get uh, realigned or I was so out of alignment and I felt so much better uh, after I went and was adjust, quote unquote, adjusted. So uh, I don't know, uh, you know, again, I want to speak to what you were taught in school, but for me, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that the spine's a pretty stable and robust structure and we're not really getting, quote unquote, out of alignment with these uh, vertebrae that are uh, out of place. Uh, can you touch a little bit more on that theory and why uh, that's largely been dispelled? Yeah, um, I guess, I guess with that, I think you. So what you're referring to is a subluxation theory, right? And that was right. a theory that was invented and coined by by chiro the chiropractic profession. And I, I really think you kind of have to go into the history of the profession because I think it's relevant to mm -hmm. kind of figure out how that came up with and. Um, I don't know. You want to you want to get into the weeds of that? Talk about D.D. Palmer a little bit. Yeah, we could talk about D.D. Palmer. <laughs> I think it is interesting. Uh, um, you know the the 
the origins of chiropractic medicine is definitely interesting. So uh, I, I know you're a little more versed on that if you want to touch on it. Yeah. So, all right, just, just keeping in mind, you know, physical therapists, we, we have plenty of skeletons in our own closet too. And I actually predict that in 10 years, there won't be much of a difference between physical therapists and chiropractors at all. And if there is, you, you have a problem. But if you read the history books, there was this guy named D.D. Palmer, and this guy was a charlatan. He was a scam artist. He was, he was a magnet healer. And he had a janitor in his office who was deaf. And so D.D. Palmer claims to have cured this guy's deafness by giving him an adjustment, cracking his neck. So not only that, he later doubled down on the pseudoscience and actually claimed to have invented the entire framework of the chiropractic profession during a seance with some dead doctor. And I'm not making this stuff up. You can you can actually Google that. So the, the framework of the profession was this whole subluxation theory, these, these ridiculous claims that a human being can detect spines being out of place and that they have the skills to actually put them back in place just by adjusting the spine. Um, so for years and years, uh, part of that subluxation theory was that you could you could basically treat all 10 systems. You know, so for us, you know, a lot of what we do is, you know, muscles, bones, nerves, that kind of thing. But for chiropractors, uh, they, they've made claims in the past that they could you know, crack your spine and cure things like autism and diabetes. So it's stuff that just doesn't pass the smell test. Um, but, you know, I think that we, we got to learn from that because chiropractors are expert marketers. Um, you know, as ridiculous as this stuff is now, um, and, and the science is kind of caught up with it, you know, they've made people believe in this for many, many years and sort of created a dependency on the profession. Right. And, um, you know, good thing is, you know, I was talking about the beginning is that the subluxation theory has, from what I understand, been abandoned. I don't know if the, the chiropractic association has like made a formal stance on that, but speaking to several, you know, newer chiropractors that have come out. Um, they don't practice that anymore. A lot of what they do is actually evidence-based and very similar to what they do. And I, and I think that's a good thing um, because, you know, we're totally against creating that, that dependency on, on a practitioner, especially with spinal manipulation. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's something that I've always noticed and, and wondered to, you know, growing up my, you know, my own mother likes to go to her chiropractor and goes all the time. Uh, you know, it's been consistent part of her routine for, uh, for years. And um, for me, you know, I, I don't, I, it didn't. It hasn't always set well with me that you know that dependence there. So um, I, I like that you touched on that a little bit, and that you know it seems that you know as if we start following the evidence, the two professions are going to have more commonalities than uh, you know differences. But uh, to change gears a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about the safety of this kind of stuff because that's something you know that some people are a little bit scared of you know coming in and getting uh, you know getting their back cracked or their neck cracked, quote unquote. So. Um, can you talk a little bit about the safety uh, issue or lack thereof when it comes to spinal manipulation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just it, it is spinal manipulation is actually very safe. It's, it's one of the safest things we do. It's statistically, it's safer than exercises we prescribe. It's safer than actually asking someone just to turn their head to the left and the right, believe it or not. I, I'd even make the argument it's, it's more dangerous for the practitioner than it is for the patient. Case in point, that's how I actually ruptured my pec major because I was being a bonehead one day in the clinic and, and use a technique I shouldn't have. Um, for the record, the patient was fine, by the way. But <laughs> if, you, if you've if you read headlines in the past, um, occasionally you'll see something pop up where a patient had a vertebral artery dissection and a stroke um, after seeing their, their chiropractor. 
Um, and, and it's usually a chiropractor reference because there's like over 250 million chiropractic visits in the U.S. Um, as compared to physical therapists, just kind of their bread and butter is kind of how they define their profession. But when you when you break that down, when you actually, you know, research it and look a little dive a little deeper into it, what it's been determined is that those patients who had strokes the day of or the day after seeing the chiropractor was likely because it, the vertebral artery dissection was already in progress, right? So they were actually going to see their practitioner because they were having symptoms. They were having neck pain, having headaches, things like that. So it was going to happen anyway. And then breaking down the stats even more, there's actually a higher incidence of people having strokes after seeing their primary physician as compared to the chiropractor. Wow. Um, so that's that's pretty interesting, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, I still... I still think that there's things we can learn from that. And I think that it's, this has made us better practitioners on our side because now we know that if these things could happen, these, these things are already in progress when people come to see us, it's made us better examiners and evaluators. So, you know, patients come in with neck pain, you know, it could be something very routine. They could have strained into the gym or something like that, but we're still going to check. We're still going to check cranial nerve eye exams. We're going to do a thorough history taking, look for any risk factors related to, you know, heart in the arteries, arteriosclerosis, uh, things like that. And, and that's really, you know, go back to the, the DPT degree. That's one of the reasons why we have this advanced degree is to show the public that we have the ability to screen out for the big nasties, you know, like cancers, like risk factors for stroke and, and things like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's very safe. And, um, there's some pretty cool studies where they've actually, where the researchers have actually looked at what happens to the four pipes that go to the brain, the two internal carotids and the vertebral arteries, whenever you rotate. And whenever you ask someone just to turn their head as far as they can, you're actually going to get occlusion on, on one of those pipes, but the other three are going to open up to compensate for that. And whenever you actually crack someone's neck, it is not a very big movement. It doesn't look anything like a Kung Fu movie. It's, it's right. a very, very small thrust. It's fast but it's a very small thrust. And so, you know, it is, it is definitely much safer than a lot of things that we do in a nutshell. And, um, as far as the low back goes, I mean, there's virtually no risk. Uh, there's, I think the stat it's from a Cassidy article. No, it's someone else. I can't remember the author, but it's a one in 3.7 million chance of causing someone to have a lumbar disc herniation or worsening one that's already there. Um, so it's, it's safe. You know, it's, there's right. really not a lot to it. Yeah, I, yes. I, I love that you uh, you know you reference that you know some of the exercise that we give people might actually be you know more of a uh, more of a danger than uh, the spinal manipulation. I think that's really important for people to understand that this is really safe practice. Uh, and you know when it comes to PTs performing this tech these techniques, uh, I wanted you to speak a little bit onto uh, really the qualifications of PTs to do this because I know there are a lot of people out there that just assume. This is chiropractic, is that chiropractors are the only ones that do spinal manipulations, when really there are other professions. I know there are DOs that do PTs. It can, you know, it can be a big part of some PT practices, depending, again, on uh, your education and things that you've studied. So can you uh, touch on a little bit of you know, maybe your background and, and how you've come to feel comfortable using these techniques? Yeah, sure. So j just like you said, everybody seems as chiropractors, and that's because they're expert marketers, and we haven't done as good of a job for that as a profession. That's something we can definitely learn from and improve upon. But I mean, these, these techniques are, are nothing new. There's, there's probably, there's probably hieroglyphics in the ancient pyramids of Egyptians getting their necks cracked. Um, you go to a, a barber shop in, in the UK 
you're gonna get your neck cracked if you give them a good tip. Um, so this is this is a shared treatment amongst several different professions. And I know um, when I was in school, we were learning the stuff. You know, first year of PT school. I mean, it's it, Kathy Arnott. Yep. You know, I know we're talking all the time. But she's been great exposing us to this stuff. And um, you know, I, I know most people that come out of the program at USC, you know, feel good with it right out of school. It's it's an entry level skill, physical therapist. It should be. Um, right. There are some schools that don't teach it there uh there's that that pt school in the low country last time i checked they still don't teach cervical manipulations and mm-hmm. it's because they're they're fearful of it um and i think that as a prospective physical therapy student if you're trying to evaluate what school you want to go to and you find out that the school doesn't teach neck manipulation because they're scared that they're going to give someone over vertebral artery dissection there's a good chance they might be 10 years behind on their uh, literature when it comes to orthopedic manual therapy. So that's um, you know, something to think about. But having said that, um, I think it's definitely good to have a diverse portfolio. So you need to have several different techniques to choose from when it comes to cracking stuff because um, you know certain body types are going to require different setups. I know for females, females generally don't have as much size as males do across the population. So, you know, body mechanics are going to matter a lot more than it would for me, you know, because, you know, we can, you know, guys, we can just kind of muscle our way through it sometimes. But, um, you know, some of the best manipulators I know are actually, you know, girls that weigh less than 120 pounds. They're just really skilled with it really fast. Um, mm-hmm. So that's things you can develop through some advanced training if you don't get it in school. Right. What are some of those advanced training things that you've uh, participated in that you uh, would recommend? I know we talked a little bit about one on our Con Ed podcast, but are there any uh, any things in particular that popped in, in your mind? Yeah, um, I, I've done a few. I've done a few uh, over the over gosh past seven years now. I practice, but I, I got I re- referenced it before. But you know, Justin Dunaway's um, total spine thrust manipulation course, I think, is the the best one out there. It's it's part of the Institute of Clinical Excellence and just anything those those ICE guys put out is going to be top notch. I don't know anyone who's doing kind of better than them right now. Um, but you know, if if you're a complete novice, you don't have any experience with cracking stuff. Justin will help you develop those psychomotor skills. So you'll go in and take that course every weekend. You'll be ready to crack some stuff by by Monday. But it, it goes a little bit beyond that too because you know he's going to incorporate things like pain science so teach how to frame this so you know before and after i do this technique to a patient how do i how do i speak to them so that i don't create this dependency and then he'll also talk about how to incorporate it with with movement as well so you know after i do this technique after i crack someone's lumbar spine and they're feeling better and they're moving a little bit better what do i do to follow up to make sure it sticks so that they don't have to come see me again week in and week out for the rest of the year. So, um, you know, I think that course is perfect. It's like a more, um, I don't know if it's the right word, but holistic type of approach where you're going to treat the whole person and, um, you know, get them better and not keep them in your office for a ton of visits. Right. And you kind of just segued into the next topic that I wanted to go into was how you utilize this in conjunction with other aspects of, you know, of treatment to ensure, yeah, that these changes aren't just transient, that become more permanent and that the, uh, the patient doesn't require or it doesn't become dependent on that specific, uh, modality. So, um, you mentioned it a little bit incorporating movement in there. So, uh, in a situation, say somebody, I want to give you a little example that I'm kind of putting together in my head. Somebody comes to you, uh, maybe they're a little bit younger. Uh, they are, uh, you know, say like, maybe 30 years old, they're a CrossFitter because that's our big population that we, we talk with and deal with. Um, 
recent deadlift session. They've got, um, you know, they maybe strained something in their lower back, or at least that's what they're coming to you saying. Um, and their exam checks out. You check all those red flags that you talked about that we're, you know, as PTs, we're trained to make sure that we don't miss those boxes. We check all of those boxes. Nothing is going down the leg. This is somebody that comes to you. It's, you know, a, a few days old. This is somebody that you think, okay, manipulation is for, um, or is it something that you're going to utilize? Um, when in a treatment session are you going to do it? Um, what you know? What order are you? Are you what are you going to follow with it next? Can you talk me through this example here of say this patient, this thirty-year-old CrossFitter that comes in with a little bit of a some acute low back pain that's mechanical in nature? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's that's a very common scenario, and uh, those are the ones that you want to get to because the, the spinal manipulation it, it tends to work better in the in the acute population. So when it's fresh, you know, within the first two or three days. Um, so, you know, someone comes in like that, they're going to be pretty sore. Pretty much every movement's going to be painful and guarded. You know, it's very likely that the actual, whatever damage is done to the tissue, um, you know, whether it's the muscles or, you know, some of the things surrounding the joints is very, bit, very minor, but the nervous system is going to try to create that protection. So, you know, it's a lot of it is the way you talk to the patient, you know, how you explain, you know, what you're going to do, what to expect after and, and go from there. So, um, you know, someone like that, you're going to do a manipulation. Chances are after they get off the table they're going to be moving a little bit better. And the way I like to explain this to them is, you know, is, you know, say someone, you know, came in like that and they couldn't stand up straight. You crack their back and they're standing up tall and they're at least walking normal, maybe not ready to deadlift at that point. You know, I, I, I basically tell them, we just, you just improved your range of motion. You know, the, that mobility was already there, but we just took a barrier away. We just took away a little bit of guarding. And if we don't take advantage of this right now, it, the window of opportunity, I know some people don't like that word, but, but I love it. I think that's like my bread and butter is when you do some kind of manual therapy technique and then actually follow up movement, it's going to stick. So, you know, you're moving better now. Let's start with something that's non-threatening, you know, maybe something non-weight bearing, partial weight bearing, like some rolling some rocking techniques things like that things that i want you to do frequently to try to you know slosh some synovial fluid around the joints and then after a few days we'll actually or after a day or two we'll actually start loading this and trying to reintegrate back into deadlifting and it might be gradual you know we might be doing some rack pulls to begin with some high deadlifts and then we'll take our time getting back to the floor and be honest with you a, a lot of times that's how people come back better because chances are there was something wrong with their deadlift technique to start with and that's why this happened. So if they're kind of just scaling back temporarily, a lot of times you can kind of snipe out what the issue was and then improve the technique so it doesn't happen again. To, right. So hopefully that, hopefully that answers yeah. the question. No, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was going through. Yeah. But you know, just so I'm, I'm clear on this, you're telling me that I just need to work on my deadlift technique. I don't need an x-ray to look at my hips out of alignment and then a six-month wellness plan. Yeah, we actually saw that one, didn't we? That's a real example there. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a real example. Uh, yeah. A six-month wellness plan. And I think he, that, that patient, a uh, friend of ours, has been there maybe one. He's a client of mine who you've been working on, uh, has uh, been one time and had no problem since. Um, but, man, that six-month wellness plan would have been – man, he, he needed that. Yeah, that was like a $3,000 3, plan there, man. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's uh, paying for, yeah, for that guy's uh, uh, boat. Exactly. No, and he's done so well, and it was. It was truly just a a, a movement flaw. It was mechanical. It was something. It was a newer to our gym, and and has now you know done exactly what you had talked to uh, talked to him about, and corrected some technical issues, and had zero zero issues since. So it just shows that you know gradual reintroduction 
and uh, move, changing some movement mechanics is uh, is what was needed. It wasn't an quote unquote alignment issue. Um, right. But that's a, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that was a funny one. Uh, that was one I, I had to throw in there. But I think yeah, that was that, good. Uh, that, I mean, that's, that's just an all too common example, though. I mean, I'm, I'm sure people listen to this are like, yeah, you know, I've, I've seen I've seen patients like that time and time again. And it's, mm. it's a shame. It's a shame. It but hopefully that'll that'll change for the better as time goes on. Right. Well, um, I think we covered a lot of barring this to- or about this topic. Is there anything else about this that you wanted to throw in there? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it was a good podcast episode just because of the controversy surrounding it. But really and truly. Spinal manipulation is just another manual therapy technique. I mean, it could be, it could be massage, cupping, scraping, whatever you want. It's it's quick. It's it's something just to give some input to the nervous system, deform deform the tissue a little bit to de- to decrease some guarding and just get them moving again. Um, you know, if it wasn't so much controversy with it with turf wars and chiropractors things like that, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. But again, it just goes back to people historically making this to be something that it's not. Right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and clearing a lot of that up. Um, I know, you know, having been with you in the clinic this summer, uh, such an awesome experience. If you're a student out there and you're listening and you're thinking about rotations, you know, any of the, the people at Vertex, uh, any of the therapists are people you want to maybe look into uh, reaching out to. But uh, I know during that, I got to see how you utilized it, when you utilized it, and the success, uh, you know, throughout the whole summer um, with it. So I appreciate you coming on here and, and we talk a little bit and clear this up. Um, as always, guys, every Monday, a uh, new episode coming out. Be sure to tune in. If you can, please go to uh, iTunes. Leave us a, a review, preferably five stars, uh, and give us some feedback. Uh, or don't be afraid to post a question of something you want us to talk about. Uh, you can find more of our content at our, on our Instagram handle, at Better Faster Podcast, or our website, betterfasterpodcast.com. If you want to hear more from Brandon, Vertex PT, at Vertex PT, or myself at CPT underscore strength. You can find the latest on what we're doing and be sure to tune in next week. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.